This conversation is brought to you by First Rand. Welcome to Meet the Entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Jackie Cameron. In this week's episode, we've got a story that will lift your spirits. Meet Naturally, a South Africa-based social enterprise, is helping thousands of communal farmers across the continent to create a livelihood. Meet Naturally has plans to expand its innovative approach to environmentally friendly livestock production across Africa. It has been awarded a prize in the 10th SAB Annual Social Innovation Awards and a grant that will help it deliver on ambitious dreams to pull thousands of families out of poverty and grow the sector. Sarah Frazee, one of the founders of Meat Naturally, shares how she discovered ways to create sustainable food production in rural areas and contribute to the economy. So Meat Naturally is a business that is owned 100% by uh, farmers, but operated by conservationists. And what we do is we work in communal lands. So those are lands where there is no single title deed. So it's the areas that people often refer to as the tragedy of the commons, where people are grazing. Poor rural communities in Africa are, are grazing their livestock. And because everybody's making a decision based on their own household, it's collectively leading to degradation and overuse of the land and really negative impacts on the wildlife that they are often adjacent to. So within Africa, within Southern Africa, 80% of the landscapes are rangeland, so south of kind of your rainforest belt. And for 2,000 years, pastoralists and wildlife used to graze these lands in a way that was quite harmonious. And as communities settled down, were no longer able to follow the rains the way the wildlife does, then you ended up having much more significant negative impacts on both communal farmer livestock, but also on the lands and wildlife living in that area. And so our goal is to take regenerative practices and a, a, a process, the principles of what's called holistic livestock management, which is about looking at the way wildlife would have grazed through an area. And if you think about Africa, you think about these huge herds of animals moving through the landscape. And so often, you know, people will say, you know, you're a conservationist. How do, why do you work in the meat business? And, and the meat business in Africa is the only place you can get sustainable meat production. And then you want to mimic the way that impact used to move through the landscape, which wasn't a continuous grazing pattern. So just in practical terms, what does this look like? How many farmers are you helping? What do you do in your day? So at the moment, we've got about 2,400 farmers that are part of the system. And each year, the way it works is we start out at the beginning of a grazing year and we set up what the grazing agreement should look like. And that means per week within their communal land landscape, where all of the animals from a village level would need to be per week throughout the year. And then we help them put together the vaccination. So we provide vaccinations, nutritional supplements, things that help them, enable them to implement that grazing plan. 
We then monitor the impact of the grazing plan, so we can tell we use a remote sensing system that allows us to detect the amount of biomass in an area, and we can see if all of the animals are, are where they're supposed to be. We also use professional herders, which allow us and also send WhatsApp pictures, georeferenced WhatsApp pictures that allow us to see where the animals are at any given time. And then if everything has gone well and the environmental impact that we as Meat Naturally want to see happens, then what we do is we reward that with market access. So we bring mobile auctions in and our application to the SAB award is a new mobile abattoir. We actually have used a a mobile slaughterhouse in the past and it worked really, really well, but we want to get a new unit that's going to allow us to expand production along the Kruger National Park border, which is a real high-impact high area of conflict between wildlife and livestock farmers. And so what kind of meat are you helping them sell? So what we do is we will buy their cattle from them. We will then process those animals and make it into uh, little snacks. We call it uh, conserving nature, one snack at a time. And it's usually dried meat products, so dried force or dried biltong, or we do meat pies. This is the, the vision. We haven't done meat pies in the past. Again, we'll be able to do that with the new unit and work with communities in order to help them set up businesses to do the, the packaging and the product and the sales into Kruger National Park, which gets about a million visitors a year usually, which is great market for them. So how many farmers are you actually helping? We've got 2,800 farmers that are co-owners of the business. With the new unit, we'll be adding about 600. The potential for Meat Naturally's work is about, well, if, if we look at all of Africa, it's about 50 million pastoralists on communal lands. The farmers that work with you, they manage to generate a living through your project? They are doing more than generating a living. They're doing so well. Um, And the meat price is really high at the moment. And this year's turnover was about a million euro that has gone to about 1,200 households. And it's because the quality of their animals. They're basically getting commercial type animals off the landscape whereas four to five years ago, their baseline was zero. They couldn't sell their animals into the formal market because they were too malnourished and full of disease, and we've been able to really transform that with them. That's a lot of lives you've managed to transform there, but Mm. presumably the farmers and their families have benefited as well. Completely, And, and anecdotally, what I can tell you is in these communities where we first started working and the school kids you know, it was that classic kind of image of poor rural Africa. You know, now every little child has a little backpack and shoes and and we haven't done anything other than sell their livestock. And, you know, it just goes to show that people, when they're provided an opportunity to, to generate income in a way that's consistent, it allows them to plan and really invest in their future. And I think it's been it's been so rewarding. And you said there were 50 million people like this in Africa. Do you have plans mm. to roll this out across Africa? I do. And in fact, today's meetings have all been about a, a major scale-up in Botswana. 
in the Okavango Delta area and also in, in several other key wildlife areas. So it'll be a new national program in Botswana and we also are rolling out into Mozambique, Namibia, Zambia, and we've been in touch with some people in Kenya as well. So I w my target is to reach 17 countries. If I can, can restore the communal rangelands across 17 countries in Africa, we, we will sequester as much carbon and reduce the methane emissions from those livestock to an amount that's equivalent of the Amazon rainforest. So I'm on my way. That's incredible. And tell me more about your background. How did you get into this project? <laughs> I was a vegetarian for 18 years, and now I kill cows for a living. Um, I was it was it was conservation. So it was uh, really recognizing that with climate change, setting up protected areas was not going to be what helped achieve. Um, long-term conservation, uh, particularly given that conservation areas are often in poor areas where there is this tremendous conflict with livestock. Livestock farmers living adjacent to wildlife areas, they lose between 10 and 20, sometimes 30 percent of their herd to pred predators that get out through the fence. Some, and if they're not losing them to predators, they lose them to diseases that are coming from, from wildlife. And so there's tremendous animosity between the two. And promoting this coexistence requires a significant investment initially. But if you can get collective grazing across a village, it actually, over time, more than pays for itself. I have an economic background. I've always done conservation enterprise since 1995. I've been working with uh, the business and conservation interface across a whole bunch of spectrums and sectors. And in 2013 is when I landed in, in the meat space and have really found that this is an area that I think can really be transformational. I mean, there's a lot of work that can be done in conservation across mining or, you know, other agricultural products. But if you look at for Africa, you know, 60% of the landscape is used for livestock grazing and wildlife grazing. And if we can find a way where we can make those two land uses harmonious, then what a win. And, and it really can be, you know, a unique transformative space for Africa to become the breadbasket for the world. Or the meat basket, I should say, not the bread basket. Who actually started this? So Meat Naturally is a business and I started it. Okay. Yeah, I started it in 2016 with two colleagues, a guy called Herbert Nell and uh, Numusa Jaka. And we, Herbert is a commercial farmer. Numusa is a young agriculturist, African woman who is passionate about livestock and I have a very strong rangeland ecology and economics and business background. So the three of us came together. We started the business, but we gave 100% ownership to a trust, which is owned. And the beneficiaries of the trust are the farmers that sell through us that year that are compliant with their grazing agreement. So they get profit share, which is another reason why they have an incentive to try to sell through us, because they not only get the, animal, the money from their livestock sales, but they get it um, in, in terms of profit share return. 
Incredible. And what other plans do you have? Are you, I suppose the meat will keep you quite busy, but it sounds like you've got good ideas to, f- solve, to solve Africa's problems. So what I think is really interesting and, and for me has been an amazing thing. So like I said, I'm an economist. And uh, when I was at university, I studied the tragedy of the commons quite a bit. And what I feel like we've found uh, a model that can help overcome a tragedy of the commons and really turn it into a promise for the commons. And I feel like this can also be applied in the oceans um, with communal fishers or fishers that are using a collective resource in the sea. And I've, I've been in touch with people. We always talk about fish naturally. Um, so any time you've got a collective resource that where degradation happens because an, not because anybody intentionally wants that, but because somebody else's choice is infringing on your own choice and, and getting people to work together on a collective agreement where the land use is agreed and shared and the fishing use or the fishing area and then rewarding it and tying your market link to being a reward, not just something you give whether or not there has been, you know, a degradation that's been noticed. So sometimes I think the market piece and the conservation piece have been too separated. And I really think if you can tie your market access to a conservation, not willingness, but an actual conservation benefit that is measurable looking at biomass or soil carbon sequestration. And if we can tie those two things together, we really can achieve a lot on communal lands. And and I think with climate change, an individual farm level isn't going to work in the livestock sector for, for very long. You're going to have to have huge areas in order to mitigate climatic shifts that are happening because your area can get hit by drought. So the, the vision is also to kind of knit net these communal areas together as well over time so that they can also build resilience across each other and then maybe knit it to other fishers if who knows it's it really is about bringing things together you make it sound very easy what have some of the challenges (laughs) been along the way it's impossible people don't like to work together um (laughs) no i it's There's lots of challenges. One is uh, the disease risk when you bring things into a large scale. So we do have to invest quite heavily in our our veterinary care. It's all, you know, not antibiotics, but but vaccinations regime. You have to make sure is is quite, quite strict. And also your health and safety standards for production of meat in deep rural areas where you have sometimes real challenges with water supply. I've been looking at microorganisms that can help reduce the need for huge water use and an abattoir operation is, so that's definitely a challenge. And you spoke about sometimes people don't like working together. How have you managed to get all these groups engaging and working in a cooperative way? What is your uh, guiding principle or how have you managed to do this, your, your management principles? Yeah, our management principle really is that we provide the incentive, but they have to do it themselves. And we have had situations where we'll introduce the system and it doesn't work. Um, For example, an area that was supposed to be rested, the chief decides to put his urn, his cattle in that area. 
and we basically then don't bring the market access and those farmers who were part of the business ownership structure fall out of the system for that year. And what we say to them is it's not up to us to ensure you guys have market access. What we have had happen then is that they try to sort it out themselves and then they'll come back to us and we say, okay, is everybody ready to participate now? Because Big Brother is watching. We have this remote sensing system. We know when there's cheaters, cows poop. When, you know, when we get there and we see poop, we can see that this area that was supposed to be rested all year has had cattle in it. It means somebody, and we don't care who's broken the rules. We're not here to enforce it. We just say, sorry, you don't qualify this year. And then the people who really want that market access, especially if people who basically have no access to any other job opportunities in the area, they have no income generating opportunities, and you tell them that you're going to take away $100,000 from the community that year or 90,000 euro, they use their own social systems to kind of work it out. And when it doesn't work out, it's very hard but we are going where the areas are, are willing. And what we're finding is if, as long as we just keep moving and we're in the neighborhood, eventually we get a call back. Brilliant. Thank you very much for your time. Is there anything you'd like to mention that we haven't covered? Yes, because you're a global entity. Yes. Um, I'd like to speak to people who... There is a perception that cows are bad for the environment all the time. Um, and, and I really respect that. And like I said, I was a vegetarian for 18 years. I, I really understand that. We have had situations where potential beneficiaries of our program who've had some support that could have come in to help training their herders be pulled away by climate financiers from the EU, from different European funding agencies, mostly just because of a lack of understanding. We need to be culturally relevant and ecosystem relevant farming practices. And in Africa, in an area where you don't have arable landscapes, encouraging the planting of soy or biofuels as a, as a land use is so counter and so much more negative impact. In fact, I can tell you planting potatoes and organic potatoes in South Africa converts three hectares of natural habitat per day. What you'd rather have is cattle using that in a way that mimics what was naturally there and is culturally super important for the cultures of the people that live in those areas. And so I just want to ask people, it's really about being educated and understanding that each of your eating choices are so locally dependent if you're looking for it as based on an environmental impact reason. Are you still a vegetarian? I can't say that I am, but I only eat meat from our, our sites. It sounds excellent. Are you exporting it yet? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Good. Well, Someday, Jackie, I'll send you some. Please do. I love biltong. I'm, I'm not a vegetarian. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Well, eat luck. meat as a treat. We do need to eat less of it as a whole. I do still agree with that. But um, I just think what I have seen is that people are trying to encourage arable production, which I think is really just going to make communities much more vulnerable given the climate change projections. 
You've been listening to Sarah Frazee, one of the founders of Meet Naturally, on this week's Meet the Entrepreneurs podcast. I'm Jackie Cameron. For more business inspiration, hit the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on this weekly podcast. Until next time. This conversation was brought to you by First Rand.